0: Back in the White Claw, Hard Seltzer Studios. Hope you enjoyed some White Claw on your Valentine's Day. Hope you enjoyed a nice night with your lover or with your friends or alone. However you chose to do so. Tennessee, 92, Arkansas, 63. It was ugly in the second half. When you look at like individual performances, of course, Jonas, Adu stands out. He was back. I think that was a good sign, considering Arkansas just didn't really seem to want to play any post-defense. So it was nice that Jonas was back to kind of punishing those teams. 23 points, 11 of 14, 12 rebounds. Dalton Connects got to 22 points. Jordan Ganey off the bench was awesome. He had a stretch there where he kind of blew the game open and I think took it from like 11 to 17. Anybody stand out to you, good or bad, Bob?
1: I think Gainey was the story for me. I mean, obviously, Jonas has had games like this before. It looked like he was playing on a smaller goal or something last night. That's exactly I think, what I thought. The lack of defense from Arkansas inside was crazy, but uh, – you know, cause I was looking at his line and 23 and 12 is a great line. 11 from 14 from the field is great, but you know, dunks will do that for you. Right. I mean, he had, he had many, um, but Ganey was the story because I think back to just where we were a few weeks ago and we were all kind of talking about, man, is he, is he lost it? Everybody's kind of figured him out. They've gotten in his head. He's really not an asset at this point. And, um, we were at that point thinking, God, if we can just get a bucket or two from him a game, that, that's a difference maker. Well, now he's providing many buckets. And, you know, six of eight from the field last night, that's that's great. I mean, and I, I like the bounce back because in the A&M game, he shot – five or six times but hit one I think so one of five yeah so zero I mean,
0: for four from three yeah was the stat line against a
1: so good bounce back for the team obviously but a really good bounce back for him too uh which I like to see and a bounce back for Jonas it's it's one of those get right moments for both of those guys Dalton I think played well you touched on it it feels like his defense is coming along um you you mentioned the weak side blocks he had uh I don't know how many. They have three blocks. Yeah, three blocks and two steals. Um, so I, I think that, and 22 points. We, we were we were reveling in him getting you know in the 30s and all that. It's like we're not gonna get those regularly. But I think uh, I I think that was 10 out of 11 games with 20 points or more for him at this point. 10 out of the last 11. So, um, so yeah. I, I to me though, I really was. I guess most happy with Ganey because he was hitting like he was hitting some hard shots too. That was the other thing. I, I mean, it, he played with a fair amount of aggression, taking it to the hole. So I like that.
0: Yeah. If you look at Ganey's last seven games, I feel like he's back to kind of being a solid contributor of the seven games starting, you know, basically a month ago, January 20th against Alabama. He has gotten into double figures four times out of those seven. And another time against Kentucky, I I didn't think he made a scoring impact, but I thought he was pretty good in that game. You know, we talked about his defense, his offensive rebounding, and you know, just kind of being out there and being a contributor, even when not scoring. Because sometimes it seems like he is not contributing unless he's scoring. But against Kentucky, I thought he made an impact. So yeah, of those seven games, I thought really he only had two clunkers. He was kind of stinky against the the law against South Carolina in the loss, and I thought he was pretty stinky against A and M in that loss. So correlation, causation, all those things. Ganey plays well, Tennessee pretty tough to beat. Ganey struggles and doesn't play well. Tennessee 0
1: and two in your last seven games. I thought Josiah had a nice, kind of efficient game. Uh nothing spectacular but hit some hit some big buckets and wasn't a n certainly not a liability, uh which we're seeing more of that from him, too, and I'm I'm happy to see that.
0: Now, you saw the mid-range jumper. He shot with confidence. You saw him kind of do his post move where he gets down there, backs somebody down, and hits that little 12-foot turnaround in the middle of the paint. He, he's good at that shot. No, I thought Josiah, that was like an A-minus Josiah game.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: If you can get that, you'll be very happy. You know, now the A-plus games, of course, we've seen that against Kentucky, we've seen that against North Carolina State where he gets into the 20-point scoring range. That's a ceiling. But, like, if he can hang out at that 12 points, four of seven from the field, that's, you know, near perfect. That That's an A- minus or just maybe even a solid A. Like, you'll, you'll take that. You'll sign up for that. 16 points. He hit the number between him and Vescovy. Although he's doing the heavy lifting because... That's something I can't help but notice just every game is just watching Santi and the passiveness and the the lack of confidence for as much confidence as Ganey seems to have gained it seems like vescovy has lost that, and it makes me sad as we you know we, we get here in his
1: year five and he just kind of keeps stuck keeps stuck in this slump, yeah, I was thinking about that last night he's always had those moments he always has that great little uh kind of stutter step fake you know where he gets the ball and then you know kind of fakes off a pass steps over gets a three it's like he's not he's not looking for that anymore you know he's got to be wide open and uh otherwise he's passing off and i don't know it's a little it's a little bit of a bummer to see it
0: yeah now it's a pump fake side step i'm gonna pass the ball type of thing versus i'm gonna lock and load sam what stood out to you
2: i mean i'm right there with bob i think it's gainy and i think it's the production that he's been giving you and to me i think you might start to wonder a little bit about kind of maybe kind of even in those minutes out between Ganey and and Vescovy a little bit, I think, because if you're you're playing Vescovy and he's giving you that production in 30 minutes and Jordan Ganey can give you that output in 18, to me, I feel like if you kind of split that number in two a little bit and I think that Ganey is, he's not, you know, I, I don't think he's the defender that Santi is at all, but I think it's you can obviously tell that he's improved and you can see his aggression on the defensive side of the ball and his willingness to kind of get his nose into some of those plays. So, I'd kind of like to see some of Ganey maybe get some of those minutes and maybe maybe Santi can kind of revive himself and get some more confidence back if he's a guy coming off the bench that can hit some shots.
0: I do think Vescovy's defense matters yeah. out there on the perimeter. I do think he is still – I don't want to say like he is, needs to be benched or, or, you know, loses minutes to Ganey. To me, that seems – I don't want to say premature because we're late in the season, but I'm not ready to go there yet. Because I do still think he impacts. I mean, he still was out there and he grabbed six rebounds. You know, he's still in there, you know, kind of getting his his hands dirty when it comes to the paint. But, yeah, I mean, like you've seen it over the last, you know, basically since SEC play. I mean, 35 minutes against Ole Miss, 33 minutes against Vanderbilt. But outside of that, he hasn't played more than 30 minutes in any of the SEC games. He's hit the 30-minute threshold twice. Every other game he's been fewer than 30 minutes. So, like, you've you've already kind of seen him be the fifth starter, right? Like, I feel like if you looked at all the starters, like, he'd be getting the, the fewest minutes.
2: And maybe not on, like, a permanent base, but, like, on a night where Ganey is that hot, like last sure. night, you know, when sure. he's playing that well and in that limited amount of time and Santi's playing that much and not giving you that much. I feel like – you've got some kind of room there blowing them out to be able to kind of play around in some lineups maybe.
0: Yeah, when Ganey's hitting, it takes the pressure off of Vescovy offensively. And, like, you know, Connect has taken the pressure off of Vescovy offensively. And and Jonas last night helped score some points. So, like, the the scoring burden wasn't there, but, you know, it's a third straight game with, with five points or few. The scoring burden was there against Texas A&M, and he was one of six for, for five points. In a game where Tennessee scored 103 points against Kentucky, Vescovy was solid. You know, he had 11 points. He was flying around. He was making some good plays. You thought maybe you know, he was blowing kisses to the crowd. You thought, okay, maybe maybe that's going to lead to him kind of breaking out, and then he followed it up with two points against LSU. Not a game where you necessarily needed him, but that was one where he also went like you know 20-something minutes without shooting, it felt like. Or at least, like, 15 minutes. He only played 21 minutes in the game. But, like, it was, like, middle of the second half, I feel like, before he even got his first shot attempt up. And that's disheartening. That's disheartening. But outside of that, I mean, I feel like everyone else kind of had passing grades. Zakai was meh in the first half. Came out early in the second half and helped set the tone with an early three-pointer. Had a couple of nice passes. You know, he's... I don't want to say he's mastered it, but, like, I do... Think of him as Chris Paul or think of him as Steve Nash whenever he does that little baseline dribble and keeps his dribble alive and kind of circles around, and you see him find Jonas often right there in front of the rim, kind of like Steve Nash. He's finding a Mario Stoudemire right there in front of the rim or, or Chris Paul would throw lobs to Tyson Chandler or DeAndre Jordan from that spot. Like it, It's a good trick for an undersized point guard. Keep that dribble alive and kind of break the defense. And You talk about paint touches getting there, get inside the paint. It doesn't always have to be entry passes. It could be your guards penetrating and getting the defense to move. I thought Zakai was in control of that last night.
1: It was all good last night. I mean, the other thing, too, I haven't seen this kind of line in a while. They were uh, The Vols were 21-24 to at the line. Yeah. It was nice to see. The only guy that missed free throws was Dalton. You know, he was 7-10, to 10, but still that's not awful. Um, and Cam Carr got a shot off. Of course he did. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Hey, the most important streak for Tennessee, the most important stat, has Cam Carr played on the flow chart? If the answer is yes, Tennessee has won. The undefeated streak continues for Cameron Carr. If he plays, Tennessee wins. Simple as. Now, yes, I realize that a lot of those are in games where where the game is in hand. I understand that. But, hey. Stats are stats. Let this be a statistic lesson. (laughs) Correlation does not always equal causation, but, again, perfect correlation between... Cam Carr playing, and Tennessee wins. But, yeah, I mean, like, that that was also frustrating, just seeing neither one of your young guys, or if you want to throw Kate Phillips in there too, like, neither one of them getting more run because the game was in hand from the 10-minute mark on.
1: Sure was.
0: Yeah, and, like, it, it, you know, it took basically the last TV timeout for either Freddie or Carr to get in. I'm sure we'll talk Tennessee basketball later at some point. We'll kind of touch you, get you caught up on the SEC happenings and and where Tennessee is projected and an update on all those. But we'll switch gears and we will talk some Tennessee baseball. Coming up out of the break, Tennessee relief pitcher Kirby Connell coming up to talk about the kickoff or the first pitch of the season. Stick with us. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. All right, let's talk some Tennessee baseball one day away from opening pitch as Tennessee gets set to head to Texas, the Shrines College Baseball Showdown. We're joined by Tennessee relief pitcher Kirby Connell. Kirby, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing good, doing good. Glad to be on here. Let's do a vibe check. Give me the vibe of the baseball team as they get set to finally get to play somebody else besides, you know, scrimmaging against themselves.
3: Yeah, you know, it's going to be fun. Um, you know, we're going to go out there, we're going to play our, our brand of baseball and um, see what works out for us, what
0: doesn't. When well, you talk about your brand of baseball, Like, do you feel like there's been an evolution at all or any changes this off season? Because, you know, talking with, My coworker here, you know, the Russell Smith, the drive, he, he has a relationship with Tony and he says, you know, over the years, he's seen maybe a more focused, more locked in Tony Vitello as the season gets locked in and says this year in particular, you know, the, his handlers and people booking his interviews are like, Hey, Tony don't have time anymore. Tony is locked in on the season and trying to chase a championship. Have you seen an evolution of Tony at all this off season?
3: Oh yeah, for sure. You know, um, you know he shows up to the field every day and uh, wants to get better in any aspect. Um, you know, as a team, you know we're going out there every single day for practice and uh, you know trying to get better at the, at the little things. Just the little things that win games. Uh, the big things will show themselves. So uh, you know, just going out there and trying to get better every single day of practice and and uh, you know just coming together as a team, being being together as a team out there and um, you know I think I think this team's. Done a really good job of uh, bonding together. You know, we're we're a bunch of guys that want to be together.
1: Hey Kirby, thanks for joining us. Um, I'm thinking about you're heading into this weekend, heading down to Texas, playing some uh, some solid Big 12 teams, starting with Texas Tech. This pitching staff that you're a part of, you know, to kind of dovetail off of John's question about. Uh, just the progression and evolution of this team and this pitching staff, when you look and you see like, you know, Drew Beam, who's your, you know, he's your number one starter and he's actually going to go day two, it sounds like, uh, it sounds like maybe AJ Russell's going to go on Friday night, tomorrow night, um your perspective on that just watching what's you because you're uh, you've been around you've seen a lot of pitchers come and go through this staff how are you feeling in general about um the way this staff shapes up going into this season
3: yeah you know um we've had a lot of really good really good scrimmages um over the past fall spring semester um You know, we got a lot of guys that just want to get out there on the mound. They want to throw strikes. They want to compete for their guys behind them, and uh, they want to do it. You know, they want to do it for the team. You know, not a lot of not a lot of selfish guys out there. You know, they're out there. They know their job. They're going to go get their job done. And just being able to go out there, throw strikes, get out, and uh, let the offense do what they can do is it's it's shown a lot during our scrimmages. So um, this weekend's going to be this weekend's going to be able to tell us who you know who can and who can't do it.
0: What's the healthy competition like for the for the pitching rotation as as Tennessee tries to find their third starter, their Sunday starter this season?
3: Yeah, you know we got we got a lot of guys. Um, you know we got a lot of guys who can start. We got a lot of guys who can come out of the pen. Um, and I, um, Coach A mentioned this yesterday. You know this might be the uh, the the most pitchers that he's ever had that you know could possibly start this year for us. Um, that's just I know twenty two. We had a lot of guys that could throw, um, but we had our main three starters um, and Blade and, uh, and Ben. But you know, this year, you know, it, we could throw out three brand new brand new starters every single weekend, and we're still going to be able to go out there, throw strikes, get outs, and do whatever we need to do.
0: Yeah, can you talk a little bit about Coach a, Coach Anderson? Because you know that's a name that some fans might not be familiar with, but. Seems to be very vital to Tony Vitello's success in building this program, and and the fact that Tony's been able to keep him around the program for so long has been huge, you know, for the pitching staff. Can you can you talk a little bit about Frank Anderson and his impact on the pitching?
3: Yeah, you know, Coach A, he's he's been doing it for a while now. Um, you know, a lot of the guys that come in, um, they're they go straight to him, and he's gonna he's gonna lead them down the right way. He's gonna tell you what you know, what, what you need to fix. Um, but his thing is, you know, if you're good enough to play here, then he's going to let you go do what you're going to do. Uh, he's not going to make any adjustments unless he sees, you know, something's going off in and, and your mechanics or your or your mental side of the game. Um, but, no, he's just – he provides us information and, you know, let us go do what we're supposed to do. And, you know, that's just be a baseball player, be a pitcher.
0: In the inter-squad scrimmages – of course, you're going up against Tennessee's offense. Which of the newcomers, and this can be freshmen or transfer players, has the pitching staff found to be the toughest out? Which of the newcomers is the toughest to get out?
3: Um, you know, in the past, in the past few scrimmages, um, the guy is is Cannon Peebles. Um, the guy's seeing the ball very well from both sides of the plate. Um, you know, he's able to. He's able to leave the yard whenever he wants, but you know he's going to put the ball. He's going to put a good swing on the ball and hit it really hard. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to see what he does this weekend um, against some other um, some other arms instead of us, but making us look bad.
2: So, you're talking about Cannon Peebles. That's a guy that I've been, you know, really excited about coming in this year and in, in that production that he can give you just at the plate. Um, but I'm just a little more curious the guys that you have being able to rotate kind of at that catcher spot. Just talk a little bit about the depth that you have at that spot and, and maybe the ability to be able to put Cannon kind of at the DH and, and rotate some different guys that are in and around that lineup.
3: Yeah, you know, me being here for so long, um, I've seen a lot of catchers come through the program. And I think, I think this year is probably our most talented catching group. Um, you know, they're, they're the hardest workers. They're the best defenders we got on the team. Um, so, you know, having them behind the plate, you know, it could be, it could be Cannon, it could be Cal, it could be Chuck, it could be Stone Lawless, you know, it's all four of those guys, you roll them out there, they're going to be able to manage the game, they're going to be able to, uh, you know, slow the, slow the game down, you know, because we got a lot of guys in that on the, on the mound, on the field, that you know, the game kind of goes too fast for them. So, you know, those, those four guys are going to be able to sit back there, control the game, slow it down for them. And, you know, I,
1: I, there would be no problem from one to four. Hey, Kirby. So you guys are getting, as we've talked about, getting ready to go down to Texas. Talk a little bit. It seems to me from afar that this uh, this thing is kind of a pretty intense in and out. You're leaving. And, I mean, that's part of why you're joining us so early today. I know you got a busy day ahead of you with travel and everything else. Um, can you talk about that a little bit, about what what, what the game plan is as far as just getting there getting ready for back-to-back-to-back games all of that
3: yeah you know we the past three years we've done this um we started off out you know in in houston arizona and now in dallas um but i i I enjoy these games um it shows it shows the new guys the younger guys the uh juco guys coming in you know this these three teams that we're gonna play is it's regional games, it's playoff games. So you're able to see, you know, you know, how everything's going. Um and everything's kinda of set up like a playoff uh scenario. You only get so much time on the field, you're not allowed to take V P before. Um, with us having the last game of every single day, you know, it kinda of shows like okay, you gotta you gotta wait your turn and then when they say go, that's when you go. Um, so I think it's gonna show, you know, who, the, who, who guys are that are able to sit there and wait for their turn. And then when they're told to go, they take off. So um, it's going it to be fun.
0: We're talking with Kirby Connell, Tennessee baseball relief pitcher, as Tennessee gets set to get their season started tomorrow at the Shrines College Baseball Showdown.
2: Kirby, can you talk just a little bit more about some of the pop that you've gotten in this lineup this year? I think you've added – Some really important guys, obviously, transfer Billy Amick at third, Uh, Kavaris Tears is kind of hoping to slot into that outfield role, and then, obviously, Cannon Peebles, like I said, Bargo, and even Robin Villanueva, a a JUCO guy. Can you kind of just talk about the power in that lineup and and how dangerous that can be for opposing pitchers? Yeah,
3: you know, uh, kind of like our pitching staff, we got a lot of guys who can play play a lot of positions, Um, you know. And we could throw out a whole new lineup the next day, and and that group would be able to go out and you know support our pitchers, drive in some runs. Um, we got a lot of guys who honestly can can leave the yard no matter where we're playing at, um, no matter what pitch, no matter what count. Um, it's just we got a lot of guys with a lot of with a lot of juice. Um, so you know, being able to have that as a pitcher, kind of, it's 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 breathtaking because you sit there and watch and, you know, just sitting there and watching them during BP, it's like they're, you never know what pitch is going to leave the yard. And when it does, you got to sit there and watch it. Um, Because, you know, a lot of these guys can, they can hit the ball a long way, but, you know, they're going to, they're going to produce some runs for us, which I think is, it's going to be really fun to see. Um, Just being able to sit over there and, and then when my time's called, you know, go out there and, and try to, you know, manage the game for them. But you know, a lot of these guys, you know, I'm, you mentioned Bargo, you mentioned Rob, you mentioned Cannon, you mentioned uh, KT, uh, Billy, uh, Dryling. You know, we got a lot of guys that back us. You know, a lot of these guys are just, they're swinging the ball really, they're swinging the bat really, really well um, during scrimmages. And, you know, I can't wait to see what they can do this weekend and end the season.
0: Do the players care about the Lindsey Nelson renovations? Is that something you take pride in as someone who has been here and kind of helped build that? Or is it just like, hey, we're going to go play ball. It doesn't matter what the, the stadium looks like. It's baseball.
3: Uh, kind of both. Um, you know, it's kind of cool to see, um, you know, that I've been here since 2019. And I've, I remember there used to be one deck. Um, there was nothing down the left field line besides uh, just picnic tables. Um, and now you now you see it, and it's kind of it looks really cool. Um, you know, we got three decks, and now we got a whole left field expansion. Um, but you know, it's it's kind of just you know it doesn't matter what park we're going to play at. We could go play you at a high school. You know, we're still going to go out there. We're going to play our our brand of baseball, and you know, see who's nine's best.
0: For as long as you've been in school, you've gotten to see the evolution of NIL you know, to go from not being able to make any money to now being able to represent some companies, get some money in your pocket. And for baseball, that's huge because, you know, know, every player doesn't have a full scholarship. So it's important to be able to kind of to fund your season and to, to represent some companies and make some brands. What has that been like being on that side and seeing the evolution of NIL?
3: Yeah, you know, NIL, it's, it's, um, it's been good. Um, and you know, a lot of, a lot of the stuff, a lot of the, the nil that we get, you know, for guys like me, you know, you're not on, you're not on a big scholarship money. Um, so a lot of it has just gone towards paying off my tuition, um, and which is not fully paid off yet, but uh, we're getting there. Um, so you know, a lot of it's not just spending money, and it's just it's it's about building relationships with uh, the companies that, um, you know, I got nil deal with. Um, just building relationships and getting to know people um, because you never know when you might need them in the future, um, wherever that is. So just for me, you know, it's 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 been really good for me.
0: Feel free to give a couple shout-outs if you want to the people that are are helping pay your scholarship and, you know, to get you another year here at Tennessee. Feel free to give some shout-outs.
3: Yeah, you know, uh, Volunteer Club, uh, Guard the Law, Better Mattress, uh, those
0: are just a few of them. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot on a couple of these as we let you go. Do you have a prediction for most improved player from last season?
2: Ooh.
0: I'm going to go Cabarrus Tears. Do you have an incoming freshman you think will contribute the most?
3: Eric Schaefer.
0: All right. You don't have to make a prediction on this one, but I do want an honest answer. In the clubhouse, what's the mentality when you look at the goals of the season? Are you doing the whole, let's take it one game at a time, let's try to get better? Or are you looking at the big prize at the end of the road saying, hey, let's do everything we can to not only get to Omaha like we did last year, but to win it all this year? What's the mentality inside the clubhouse?
3: Uh, Yeah, you know, our our mentality is it's preached on every single day. Um, It's the next pitch. Um, Worry about the next pitch. The next pitch is uh, the most important uh we're gonna we're gonna treat it as you know that's that's if we're gonna win, we're gonna win the next pitch and then the next pitch and um so just going out there and uh you know throwing strikes and and swinging the bat well
0: um uh, that'll win you games, you know, I would say you're giving me the cliche answer, but I do think baseball players probably do focus and have just the one-pitch mentality, so I'll let you slide on that. <laughs> Appreciate your time, Kirby. Best of luck this weekend in Texas, and
1: best of luck in the season. Hope to talk to you again. Thank you, Kirby.
0: Yes, sir. Thank you. Baseball season. Almost here.
1: It's a gauntlet, man. They do this trip to Texas, and then uh, I think, what, home opener is Tuesday. Yeah. Against Yeah, Asheville.
0: yeah no, I mean, next week you get, I believe, a Tuesday, Wednesday, and uh, then a whole full weekend series, so I'm pretty yeah. sure you – come back from Texas, and not a lot of time to reacclimate. You get one day off, and, and yeah, it's back to playing games that count. And that can be tough early on in the season. And I do think, you know, like in a lot of these, you're going to have so much more talent. But, you know, baseball in one-game sample sizes, it's it's tough to yeah. to not slip up any You know, that's what kind of made the 2021 team so special is they didn't really slip up in those non-conference games until, like, you know, we had to go to Smokey's Park and play with a wooden bat, <laughs>
1: I like his answer though, because uh, if it it draws kind of a corollary to what happens in college basketball. I think when he said that, you know, going down to Texas, they've been doing this type of trip for three seasons, and it feels it's a little more of a vibe like you know tournament play, like postseason tournament play. So, because of the rapidity, you know, going back to back to back and all that stuff, it's a good mindset, man. Looking forward to it.
0: Sam, who all is playing in this tournament? Is it just is, I guess we're you know Tennessee themselves drew, draw what Texas Tech Oklahoma and Baylor so yeah. kind of the the big 12 Texas area schools of course Oklahoma going to be in the SEC next year are those teams good this year
2: yeah yeah those are all this is a pretty you know star-studded event you've, you you've normally get some really high- level programs in this one
0: because when I'm looking at the SEC sports.com schedule it doesn't have like any rankings next to anybody I don't think so like are
1: are these teams ranked Tech is ranked right yeah okay. I think Tech, depending upon, there's so many different polls. But, sure. You know, 18th or 21st, depending upon which ones you look at. So yeah, that's right out of the gate, they're playing a ranked team.
0: But not going to be like two years ago when you're having to go down there and and chase Burns and basically his first starts having to go out there and pitch against like number two Texas. Yeah. yeah. No, it, it's not, not like, like a top five
2: team in this okay. necessarily. I mean, I guess you know guess outside was, of us. I guess
0: that was Chase Burns' actual first start. Yeah. I mean, that was, right. Yeah.
2: But yeah, you've got Texas Tech, Oklahoma. Baylor, uh, Nebraska, and Oregon is the other two in here. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's something baseball does. You know, mm-hmm. Tennessee was in, in Houston and, and likes to take out check out the MLB Park. It's a good way to, I guess, get some exposure. Although, like, I don't even know these, these aren't on TV, right? You have to – you can find it. Yeah, you're going to have to like, stream and, and, it, though, from what I've seen. Yeah,
1: like in the past, I, I haven't looked for this season. But last season, I think MLB Network had some of these games on. I
2: think it was just on MLB.com. Like for free, oh, really? you didn't even have to have MLB Network, maybe. I'm, pretty sure I'm not this one, sure on
0: that. But... I'm pretty sure on this one you have to just watch Flow Baseball, I think huh. is the... Okay. That's right. Yep. Flow Sports. Flow yeah. Sports. Okay, yeah. Flow Sports, Flow Baseball, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's where this will be. But I'm excited to get the boys playing. I'm, I'm excited for baseball. I do think this team you got two pictures you feel really good about and A.J. Russell and Drew Beam. You have two pictures you feel really good about. And then I do think whoever settles into the third spot is going to be really good, too. Uh, you know, I think there is depth there, and there are some quality options to have someone kind of break out and, and kind of take that,
1: you know, take the ball, take the bull by the horns, whatever cliche you want to throw in there. It's interesting, and I'd love your guys' take on it um, because, again, it, by all – indicators it looks like drew beam's going to pitch the second day and he's kind of like you know akin to your opening day starter right I, I found that interesting that he's going that route and you know aj is somebody that seems to be getting a lot of really positive hype so you have two good starters but I'm, i was just kind of cu- curious wonder it, what tony's thinking is there it might
0: be blasphemous and maybe it's not correct but i feel like aj's got better stuff like and, i mean, beams curveball of course great and he's solid and he's been kind of your you're, you're rock the last couple of years. He's been steady, you know, but that was in the Sunday role. Moving him up one day to Saturday, but I think Russell's stuff's just a little bit more electric.
2: I think it's kind of just more you you know what you've got from Beam. You've seen him for a couple of years. You know what kind of player he's going to get. You know, I think you kind of throw a guy like Russell onto this big stage, first time being a starter. I think it's just kind of a, you know, a baseline, see where the guy's at yeah. in terms of being nervous in a big game and kind of playing in a in a big setting. I think it's more of just kind of, Seeing what AJ Russell is made of in a big moment, more than you know, not having the confidence in Beam to be your day one.
0: Oh yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying it's a lack of confidence yeah. in Beam. Beam's Beam solid. I just think Russell's a little bit more electric. Like I, I'm excited to see him out there, and I. I don't think this is temporary. I think this is what they want to be the. I think this is what they want the rotation to be. I think they want Friday and Saturday kind of broken down there. All right, let's catch a quick timeout. It's the morning show here on Fan Run Radio.
1: Welcome back to the morning show. We are joined by Rick Butler with Rocky Top Insider. Talk a little bit about uh big Tennessee win last night and some other things going on with the Vols in general, whether it's baseball, football, you name it. Rick, good morning, my friend. Good morning, gentlemen. Hope you guys are doing well here on a nice Thursday morning. What's going on? Uh, not a lot. We're still a little... Uh, Sleepy-eyed. We're getting through it, though. That was a late game last night, but it, but it was a good one. <laughs> yeah, I was
4: I was telling somebody during
1: the game, I said, uh, the 9 p.m. game should
4: be banished. And they said, it's not that bad. And I said, well, for us who, who need to stay and work the game, and we have a little bit afterwards. The time starts to run up, so I'm not a fan
1: of the 9 p.m. games. It's a little bit late. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about that game a little bit. We, uh, we felt like... Uh, we, we've been talking this week about Texas A&;M used Tennessee as their get right game and kind of felt like last night for the first couple of minutes it was like oh my god is are we gonna see history repeating itself and Arkansas is going to get right with Tennessee but uh, Tennessee summarily slammed the door on that pretty quickly after certainly after the first half mm-hmm. but uh, I'd love to get your uh, Your takes on um, a little bit of what you saw, did did it surprise you? We were on a text thread talking, and we were all kind of really understanding that Tennessee really needed to take care of business. This Arkansas team is is a wounded animal right now.
4: Yeah, that's exactly what it was. You know, I I have a friend who – Grew up an Arkansas guy, he, he was texting me yesterday and he was saying, you know, we really need this game from an Arkansas standpoint. It seemed like the Razorbacks didn't have a lot more um, marquee games in their schedule. Not a lot is going right for them this season. This could have been a game like you're talking about, sort of a get-right game. And I said to him, well, you know, Tennessee continues to need this game as well because they're coming off of really two losses in the last four games, and there's still an SEC regular season race in front of them. Tennessee went out yesterday, and they handled business. Um, in an emphatic statement, I-, I thought, you know, Tennessee lost to South Carolina, then came back on the road, put up 103 points on R- at-, at Rupp Arena. Then Tennessee loses to Texas A&M, goes back on the road once again, and then puts up 93 points in Fayetteville and gives Arkansas their second-worst loss in Bud Walton Arena history. I think that's a, a good statement right there. I thought that Tennessee, you know, like you alluded to, the beginning of that game did look like the Texas A&M game. Both teams were trading shots back and forth. Um, A&M was hitting a lot of uncharacteristic threes. But the thing that I kind of thought about after about the first eight minutes of the game is okay, Tennessee has taken Arkansas's best punch they have. And yes, Arkansas would continue to throw a couple more punches over the next couple minutes in the first half. But ultimately, in that first six minutes, that was Arkansas's best punch they could have possibly put on the board. And Tennessee didn't flinch, they didn't waver, they didn't stumble, they didn't move around. They just stood there, they took it, they traded some punches back. I thought that was a really impressive thing to see just from Tennessee's mentality and their mindset because of how that sort of crumbled away at the Texas A&M game. Uh, A really dominant second half, a really strong performance in the paint, balanced scoring with four double-digit scores plus Sakai Ziegler at nine. Uh, So I just thought in a lot of different ways, this is exactly what you wanted to see if you were a Tennessee fan. This is what Tennessee wanted to do as a program. And a a dominant bounce-back win is never going to be a bad thing Uh, especially when it comes in conference play.
0: Honestly, it just made me appreciative. It made me appreciative of, like, Tennessee hasn't had a season from hell like Arkansas is experiencing in a long time. I mean, like, you know, Rick Barnes' first two years were, were tough, of course, you know, picking up the mess from Donnie Tindall and building the program. But I think a lot of Tennessee fans give a pass for that. And yes, or the COVID year, the COVID shortened season at 17 and 14 wasn't fun. And you probably were going to miss the tournament, but you are still going to be, you still went 500 in conference play to see Arkansas, who is a, a proud program. And you could argue over the last 24 years has been a better program than Tennessee yeah. or just as good to have them drop down to what were they now like three and three and nine in conference play. It just made me appreciative
4: that yeah. uh, Tennessee yeah. doesn't have these. I, John, I think you're spot on. You know, and it's funny not trying to pick on Arkansas, but maybe picking on Arkansas a little bit. You know, I, I, it wasn't a perfect A to A comparison, and it wasn't perfect across the board. But there was a time going back. I mean, around 2021, where Tennessee and Arkansas were two program, two athletic programs on the rise between basketball, football, and baseball. Obviously, both schools' baseball programs still going very well. But well, you've really seen Tennessee kind of continue that upwards trajectory in the last couple of years. Meanwhile, Arkansas is floundering. They have a head coach that is sort of on the ropes. All the rumors say that he is trying to get out of Fayetteville. You know, you obviously have the the rumors and the media kind of going off as distractions and alarming and things of that note. I think you're right. I think that it just sort of shows what what sort of stability Tennessee has. Even looking at John Calipari, I mean, John Calipari is a guy who's been around for a long time with Kentucky but they're not evolving in the same way that at least Tennessee is at different times throughout the season. So uh, I think you're right. I think appreciative is uh, a pretty good takeaway from that game right there with how misery, uh, how miserable the Arkansas fan base probably is.
0: Yeah, I got no problems with taking shots at them just because it is baseball season and they are pretty annoying. <laughs> I'd forgotten, Ricky, I forgot about their football program at the time You know, a couple of years ago did seem like they were also – kind of in lockstep with Tennessee and that you were kind of competing with Arkansas for best overall athletic department. And, yeah, now that seems laughable because the basketball program looks to be in shambles. Musselman, 95% likely that he's going to be gone in the offseason. Sam Pittman, you could say the same thing, 95% likely that he's not going to make it through next football season. They got baseball, sure, uh, they don't win anything big in baseball. But they got baseball, but the other two programs (laughs) in bad, bad shape.
4: Yeah, and, and, you know, again, that, that sort of, to me at least, and maybe there's an exact date that I could figure out if I looked into it a little bit more, but I feel like that sort of happened around 2021, and ultimately that's when Tennessee got new leadership inside the building. Danny White came in, uh, new continuity, new leadership in the building, and you've seen Tennessee really sort of imply that uh, that stability of the last couple years in multiple sports, whereas there's other programs, other teams around the country. Obviously, we're talking about Arkansas, and it's a really good example. might not be one better, but other schools are floundering in those years. So Tennessee, you know, I know the, the championships might not all be there right now. And, you know, fans, just even like a, a regular season championship or a conference championship along the way, uh, there's, been a, there's been so much stability in the Tennessee program over the last year. There's a little bit of an appreciation that, yeah, you're right, like Arkansas, things aren't just on fire out of nowhere. Um, Tennessee is looking pretty good across the board. Yeah, it would be twenty twenty one, like you're talking about, because
0: they went nine and four and won the outback bowl. You know, that was when Tennessee went seven and five and kind of showed some flashes under Hypal, of course. That was when Tennessee had the best college baseball team of all time, but didn't make it to Omaha. And, yep, and, and they did,
4: didn't they? Yeah. They, then, I do believe they made it. And
0: then that year also Arkansas basketball went to the Elite Eight. So yeah, like it was you could even say they maybe had the edge on you at that point. But yeah. from that moment yeah. on their their basketball team came back and went under five hundred last year in conference play. Of course, the football team is in shambles, and, and, yeah, like, you know, Tennessee baseball is still pretty much in lockstep with Arkansas baseball.
1: Yeah, I think that uh, – so, with basketball, we've – we want to celebrate it as much as we can, but I think we've gotten through most of the the key points with uh, that Arkansas game. Again, that's an Arkansas team that uh, – we took care of business. That's really the, the, the takeaway. We needed to um, – But Let's jump to baseball for a second. Uh, We had Kirby Connell on a little earlier in the show, Rick, and we were talking about this upcoming weekend, which is a big one. They're going to be uh, invading the the home of the defending world champs, which I'm surprised (laughs) you haven't said anything about, um, because I know that's uh, near and dear to your heart, but... uh, Uh, I know you've been doing a a few of uh, Tony's availabilities this week and everything. I mean, what's what's your take on, uh, we we keep using the term, the vibe with the team as you're seeing it as they're getting ready for a weekend that Kirby mentioned it, and I think it's good. It's kind of with these back-to-back-to-back games, it's kind of a feel of what it would be like in a postseason environment, so to speak. Sure. Well, I'll start
4: by saying this. I didn't need to mention the world championship off the bat because Tony Vitello mentioned in his opening statement yesterday. So I felt like that covered enough ground for me as well. Um, I'll tell you what, being at the ballpark yesterday, and we just had a quick press conference with a couple of the players, Tony Vitello himself, the The energy in the building seems really good. And, and and I think we got to talk to Hunter Ensley and uh, Xander Seacrest and both of those guys sort of talked about how you know obviously we, we know that in baseball it's a long journey it's a long roller coaster you on not always is it going to mesh right away not always our personalities going to um, going to kind of join together right away sometimes it does take that that snowball effect into the season to kind of get everybody on the same page sounds like a lot of the guys are on the same page going into the season which is a a little bit surprising, and not surprising in a negative way, but just, hey, Tennessee brought on a lot of players this year. I mean, they they did have some good uh, turnover, especially bringing in some top-level players from the transfer portal who are certainly going to compete for Tennessee this year. Uh, I I was a little bit surprised to hear just how well – Everyone had been meshing so far heading into the season. Now, again, that's just hearsay. It's just what they're saying. We'll have to see what it looks like on the field and see if we can judge that same assessment for ourselves. But I do think that's a good place to be in, especially because that has been a talking point or at least a, a small topic of conversation in the beginning of the season over the last couple of years. So I do think that that's noteworthy. But hey, I also tell you this, you know, just from a uh, a baseball, but also a non-baseball perspective. Getting there to be in that uh, stadium yesterday, I think that fans are going to absolutely love their first trip back to Lindsey Nelson Stadium this year. Those renovations have been mighty, you know. And that was one of the things that I hadn't necessarily seen before yesterday. Is okay. We know they're putting up some new seats. What actually is that going to look like? Is that going to actually transform the feel of the ballpark? And to me, it's a no-brainer. It does. It feels like a very unified ballpark instead of just a a nice left field You know, uh, a a nice place behind the plate, but then some other stands here and there. It feels like a unified stadium. It feels like an enclosed stadium. There's going to be hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds more seats in that stadium. It really just does feel like a new look. So, uh, I I know I took a little bit of a tangent away from the players, but I do think that when fans head back into Lindsey Nelson Stadium for the first time, whether that be Tuesday in the home opener or later on in the season, I think they're going to be delighted with what they see, delighted with how it feels, and just delighted with the new direction of Tennessee baseball.
0: I really hope they have fixed the speakers and the sound system. <laughs> it makes me so mad when I'm there and I hear the walk-up songs and it just like sounds like it's your high school press box. I'm like, we've we got to fix that. It's the same way at the basketball games. It's the same way at the football games. We make too much damn money over here in Knoxville, Danny, to have bad sound equipment. Can you make sure the baseball team's sound equipment sounds good? Please.
4: Yeah, rally the troops. That's that's the hill to stand on right there. You need a good PA system. What's going
0: on here? <laughs> what is the healthiest program at Tennessee right now between basketball, oh, football, my and gosh. baseball? All three seem to be in good places. So I mean, like, I, don't, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think you're putting anybody down by putting another one up. But like, if you had to pick one to be the healthiest, I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot. But what's the healthiest program of the three?
4: Um, I'd love to take a cop out, and I'd love to say the women's basketball program, especially with the with the game against South Carolina and Don Staley here yeah. coming up later tonight in Knoxville. Um, I said I, I said healthiest, say, not
0: unhealthiest. I said
4: healthy. Oh, the healthiest. Okay. I want to say my first instinct is basketball, and I do think that football is in a good position as well. Obviously, baseball is is in a great spot with you know. Baseball, I feel like baseball is a little different because there's a lot less hands in the cookie jar, right? There's a lot less people putting ingredients into the recipe. So Tony Vitello really can kind of mold that program exactly how he wants it. Whereas maybe with football and basketball, there's a little bit more outside factors. Obviously, NIL being a, being a uh, more significant impact to those sports I want to lean basketball. Obviously, we know that Rick Barnes is no spring chicken anymore, but he's doing well. So maybe it doesn't have the same future outlook that baseball and uh, football do. I think you can make arguments for each one. Now I'm just talking myself in circles and rambling. Uh, But my first impression is basketball. My second one is baseball. My third is football. Um, But again, that might just be because football especially you never know what outside factors could play an impact at any given second um, in any given way. So that's kind of at least my
1: first impression. But that's a really good question. So let's keep it with football here. You wrapped it up with that uh, that bit of a non-committal comment, Rick. I'm not going to say, I'm not going <laughs> to lie, but no, I, I get hey, it. I
4: gave you, I gave you an order. I might not be, yeah, you know, that was non- on that order, room. but that was, I gave
1: you one. Yes, but. Um, Talking about football, uh, the you, you you ran this piece uh, yesterday about the Orange and White Spring game coming up, and I, I have to believe when we talk about excitement, this one probably would be exciting to the fans just because you're going to get to see more Nico front and center and all of that, but uh, something I wasn't aware of, it sounds like there's, there's going to be limited availability for fans to attend this game, right? 10,000 people, I believe, right? Yeah, you both
4: are spot on, and I think that's one of the things that we've at least certainly heard people making noise about. Obviously, this is a really um, big Tennessee football offseason, guys. As you guys know, Nico Iamaliava, James Pierce Jr., I think there's really some names that Tennessee fans have latched onto and saying, okay, these are guys that we believe are are going to be the difference makers of next year's team. They want to get in there and watch them. But you're right, Tennessee has to limit the orange and white game in Neyland Stadium to just 10,000 fans, excuse me, um, and that's just due to the ongoing construction around. You know, everybody wants these great construction projects, and these renovation projects, makes the stadiums look nice. You get the new jumbotrons, you get the new scoreboards, whatever it might be. But then you have to deal with some of this stuff on the side. So I think you know the 10,000 thing is certainly something that people are are upset about. I think most people understand what's going on. But I will say that Tennessee is doing a pretty cool thing considering what else is happening that day. Tennessee, of course, is going to bring back the Vol Village, and that's something they've really been doing a lot in the last couple of years. But that game is going to lead directly into Tennessee's, Tennessee baseball is going to host the defending champion LSU Tigers that same night at 5.30 p.m., So you can sort of make this whole loop of a round trip with Tennessee football then over to Tennessee baseball against LSU all in one day if you don't get tickets to either game you can watch them all in Vault village back to back so I do think that they're doing good things around campus obviously the baseball game is going to keep fans around campus and kind of keep fans uh, through the afternoon and into the evening but that is an unfortunate part the 10,000 only allowed inside the stadium this is a big time for Tennessee it could have been a, a little bit of a money-making opportunity certainly rally the fan base but They've got some big ambition with those plans for Neyland Stadium, and got to get those renovations done at some point.
1: Yeah. Also, can I ask a question? Because you mentioned it in the in the piece on RTI or RockyTopInsider.com. dot com. So you specify Sturl the Pearl in the Tennessee Spirit Squad. Is that is that really kind of is he kind of a headliner associated with the Spirit Squad now? Yeah. <laughs> wow. I I put, that in, uh, I put that in my article because that was
4: pretty much exactly what was in the press release. So Tennessee wanted that to be known. I said, okay, we'll go ahead and make it known. Um, yes, I, I think those two things are synonymous. And I think that Stirl the Pearl is synonymous with any Tennessee sporting event that includes
1: a microphone during a break in the action kind of like KC and the Sunshine Band or something, you know, Sterl the Pearl and the Spirit Squad. When I think of the Tennessee
0: athletic program, number one, Danny White, number two, Sterl the Pearl.
1: That's Anonymous. right. That's right,
0: a living legend. Wow. All right, Rick, tell us what all the RTI crew is working on at rockytopinsider.com.
4: Yeah, well, um, we're headed to the Lone Star State this weekend, headed over to Dallas-Fort Worth for Tennessee baseball, so make sure to lock into that throughout the weekend for updates and uh, it's going to be a hard, hard tournament to watch. There's obviously, if there's a will, there's a way. Uh, but if you're not able to watch, head over to RockyTopPinCenter.com, and we will keep you covered. Otherwise, it's just normal basketball stuff right now. So we'll uh, we'll have you squared away over there, and uh,
1: we'll keep going through the season. You got to get a little home cooking?
4: I, I wish I was going home. I'm not going there. You know, I've you're actually not? never even. I, no, I'm not. I've never actually even been in that stadium before um we're sending uh we're seeing our good friend jack foster but um yeah only only one's going jack's on his way i'm not going i'd love to be back in dallas oh i'd love to uh (laughs) see that stadium for the first time see that trophy maybe even but it won't be me it will not be i i
0: gotta say Rick, this if i were you i would take this as a real slight from my bosses that (laughs) i didn't get to go to my home state and, and get to go to that park and that i I'm having to take a back seat to someone else. I would take that as a slight. I don't know how you feel about it, but you, you
4: know. know what? Now that you now that you mentioned it, this is a really good opportunity for me on a public platform. <laughs> Just go ahead and get some things off my chest. Uh, 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 look at the time. It's about eight forty-one a.m. Yeah. We'll have to save that for another day. But uh, I think you're spot on there.
1: All I would say is, you know, you you you're you're, you're you could call rank on Jack. I'm not trying to stir it up, but <laughs> you could do it. All right, on the way
0: out, give me your thoughts on the WrestleMania press event in Las Vegas last week. Where do you see the Bloodline, The Rock, Roman Reigns, Cody Rhodes, Seth Rollins? How do you see that shaking out over the next two
4: months? Yeah, that was awesome. That was better than, than a Raw or a SmackDown, you know, anything else. That that was fantastic. Um, I think that Cody, is, Cody Rhodes is going to finish the story at WrestleMania on Sunday. I have no idea what's going to happen on that Saturday night. And also, I mean... John, what happens if uh, if Tennessee is, is in a Final Four opportunity right there? How are you going to split your time between night one of WrestleMania and a potential Tennessee Final Four bid on that Saturday night? I'll just have to DVR the
0: Final Four, I guess. <laughs>
4: That's <laughs> just, a good man right wow. there.
0: My prediction, <laughs> That's I, I, good I, think, man. I think we might. What I want to see happen is I want to see maybe Seth and The Rock on night one of, the, of, the, of WrestleMania and Cody yeah. Roman night two. Maybe The Rock beats Rollins to legitimize that title, but also then it gives him the the official leg up on Roman moving forward at the bloodline as he'll be the only one with the championship. Maybe even yeah, you give Solo and Jimmy the tag team titles, uh, and so then Roman's the only person without a title. I think that would be interesting.
4: Yeah, I think you could set it up for, a, for maybe even a potential Roman face turn after WrestleMania. Oh, yeah, I, sure. I know it won't. I really like your idea about Seth. I know it won't happen. Uh, but part of me kind of just wants to see, you know, from a from a kid-like perspective, if Ro- if Cody's going to beat Roman, just let him beat the whole island of Samoa. Let him beat The Rock. Let him beat Roman. No, let uh, him beat Solo the we, week before. we, we got to slow just down. Give him all, He's still
0: stardust. Give him everything. He's still stardust. We can't have him beat Roman and The Rock. These kids these kids, and their love for Cody Rhodes. I just don't get it. Hey, like, you
4: got to claim your kingdom, right? Sam,
0: did you hear how much more excited he was to talk about <laughs> wrestling than he was to give his answers on Tennessee athletics? That, that's what Rick really cares about. Rick, appreciate I was you. I always been tricked. Appreciate <laughs> you, RockyTopInsider.com. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, buddy. Hey, thank you, guys. Thank you
4: so much. Y'all have a good one. We'll talk soon.
0: Sam, send us a break. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. Segment's brought to you by SM Athletics. If you're gearing up for some sports, whether it be AAU basketball, baseball, softball, track and field, SM Athletics can cover all of your uniform, equipment, screen print, or embroidery needs for your upcoming season. Give SM Athletics a call. Excellent customer service. Great products at a fair price. And when they say it's done, it's done right and on time, every time, locally owned and operated. You won't be just an order number to them. Give them a call, 865-966-3434. That's 865-966-3434, smathletics.com. Bobby said we had a little SEC coaching news before we get to the over-unders?
1: Yeah, Sean Elliott, who uh, has been head coach at Georgia State, yeah, I was gonna say, Vol fans may remember, or may not want to remember that he was uh, at the helm when Georgia State took down Tennessee in the Jeremy Pruitt era. Let's just leave that behind. But he's actually been pretty successful at Georgia no, State. No, Bob,
0: don't leave it behind. Remember the pain. Well, go, yeah, that's, go back to it. No, and I'm actually grow from it and remember. Yeah. remember it. And I think of, when I think of that game, the only there's only one play that stands out to me, and it was Jared Garantano sliding down short of the first down on third and ten. Or third and whatever it was. But he slid down short of the first down.
1: I tend to agree with that. I, I That's what I always say when we talk about uh, when the fan base thinks it's not going well for this football program now. Just think back. It could be, could be worse. As first bad, game as a
0: student. First loss as a student? First game as a student. Oh, nice. I guess first
1: loss too, but. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I wasn't a student because I, I, I didn't start at UT, but I think. No, that's not true. It would have been the Fulmer era. I was going to say, I remember the Kiffin, like UCLA loss as like my first game in the stands, but I think 08, oh, I guess I was there for Fulmer's last year, and that wasn't good either. My first memory of that or as a college student would have been Alabama fans taking over the stadium.
3: Yeah.
0: We had like really good seats for that Alabama game, and they you know, took the stadium over as, as they were rising to a mega power. Not a lot of good memories for me when it came to sports. Yeah during my time in college. But, yeah, Sean Elliott is at Georgia State, and he's headed where?
1: South Carolina to become tight end coach under the uh, guy I call the precious, Shane Beamer. <laughs> um,
0: That's kind of weird. He's going back to South Carolina because South Carolina is, is where he's from. He was born in Camden. But, like, I mean, I remember him coaching at South Carolina during – I guess this been, would have been – would Spurrier still been there? Yeah, he would have been. Yeah, Spurrier would have been there. Yeah, he was the interim coach after Spurrier retired. Yeah, because Spurrier quit halfway through the year in 2015. Then Sean Elliott coached the rest of that season and then I think went back to being their offensive line coach in 2016.
1: When Muschamp came in?
0: or Yeah, that would have been Muschamp's – no, Muschamp. When did Spurrier quit? Because Spurrier lost to Butch Jones. When would Muschamp have been at South Carolina? Because he beat – he was at Florida in 2014. Okay, yeah, so Muschamp came in in 2017, yeah. Yeah. So Muschamp got to South Carolina in 2017. Elliott took the job at Georgia State in 2017. I don't know how he's done there. I mean, he went 7-6 and six last year. But, like, I mean, I think if you're Georgia State and you're down, you know, in Atlanta, you probably think you could be doing better than 7-6. and six. You probably should think you should be recruiting at the highest level in your conference, obviously. And, Seven and six, three and five in your conference, probably not good enough. So, this might be a clock reset and just get back into major football. Kind of like how Chip Kelly left UCLA to get back, reset his clock and the, get back into major football at a major school. And I'm not calling South Carolina a major school, but compared to Georgia State, it is.
1: Yeah, and I think, it, well, we've seen a little of this happening too with um, coaches at these, I guess you would almost call them the equivalent of mid-majors in college football that they're going back for assistance jobs with at bigger programs, bigger conferences. There's been, there's been a handful of them happening and, and coaches flocking to the sec. So yeah, they're feeder schools. You can yeah. call them
0: group five You can call whatever you everyone, but they're feeder schools. They are the have nots big bank, take little bank, big schools take little co little schools, coaches kind of way that works. And that doesn't always work out because, you know, the one guy left his school and went to go go coach with Deion and be his offensive coordinator. And he went from, like, promising head coach to fired and demoted halfway through the season. But if you're Sean Elliott, just, yeah, I guess go. Attaching yourself to Beamer at this point doesn't seem to be the smartest career no. move, though. Unless he's got designs on Beamer's job. I want my second stint as interim head coach at South Carolina. This time, I'll win them over. <laughs> FanDuel released their SEC over-under win totals for every school. Talking about Alabama kind of made me think of that because, yeah, like most years, their over-under would have been eleven and a half. and a half. It was basically, do they, lose a, do they lose a game in the regular season? Some years it would be 11 where, like, if they lost one, you tied, but undefeated won it for you. They're down to nine and a half this year. Which I guess realistically makes ten and two the goal. Nine and three or ten and two is kind of the cutoff point there. That feels a little bit high as far as I'm concerned. I I would lean under there. We talked about Arkansas and Sam Pittman, five and a half. Not long for that world. Talked about Billy Napier. Five and a half. I don't really know how you bet on six. It feels like you got to take the under there for Florida when you look at their schedule. They're playing nine top 25 teams. And then UCF on top of that. Auburn, 7.5. Georgia, 10.5. Mark Stoops, Kentucky, 6.5 wins. LSU, 9.5. Mississippi State, the second lowest in the conference at 4.5. Lowest is Vanderbilt at 2.5. Missouri getting a lot of love. They're over-under the same as Alabama's, nine and a half. Oklahoma, their first year in the SEC, seven and a half. Texas getting the Georgia treatment, ten and a half. Ole Miss, 9.5. South Carolina, 5.5. Texas A&M, 8.5. Tennessee, 8.5. So they're saying the kind of the – the cutoff the swings the swing scenario for them is either eight and four or nine and three it's kind of what they're looking like in Knoxville any of those stand out to you Bob
1: boy a lot of love for Missouri and I know they had a good season and their schedule is not that tough next season but they gotta show me again as we've said before we did you know a little play on words there but uh that wouldn't surprise me. Georgia-Texas doesn't surprise me, obviously. Alabama doesn't. I, although I think I could see Alabama, I don't know, eight and a half wouldn't have surprised me for Alabama, but they are Alabama still. There's, they're going to get some of that rub off.
0: Sam, anything send out to you when you look at the win totals for 2024?
1: Um Sam's mad. Yeah. I'm, yeah if you
0: can calm down <laughs> about Tennessee being disrespected.
2: I'm gonna I'm gonna be uh I'll place a responsible wager on Tennessee over eight and a half for sure.
0: I for one welcome the opportunity to make some money. Same. Yes. I'm um, glad it's eight and a half and not nine or nine yeah, and a half. I'm yeah, glad so. that nine and three can get us to the window. I guess so, yeah. Now I do think that, that the if I'm guessing the way that trends throughout the offseason, I would imagine Tennessee's over get some juice on it. Get uh, it early. Yeah, by the time the season comes around, I would be surprised if that wasn't up to, like, minus 160. Yeah, or just bad value on it. So, yeah.
2: I agree. Um, one to me that said that I think might have been LSU at 9.5. I just think they're losing a lot of production maybe in terms of
0: well, – They're losing a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback.
2: <laughs> yeah, obviously. Yeah, You're losing Jaden Daniels. I think, you know, obviously you're losing, like, Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas. So, I, I think so, yeah. they've got but, some production to, to replace in terms of 9.5 being a pretty hefty – over under
0: maybe what two top seven picks in the draft? Yeah, you know I feel like that's a a definite log that they're losing two top ten picks. But yeah, the the best quarterback in college football according to the awards and the Second number best receiver for the last number year. two receiver. Yeah. I mean maybe the number one best statistically, but like I think Marvin Harrison Junior is better. But like Neighbors is right there. So yeah, them being nine and a half seems a little high.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Honestly. Does Georgia seem right at 10 and a half? Because Georgia's schedule, is is it not pretty tricky in this first year in the, with, with Texas and Oklahoma coming to the SEC? I thought Georgia kind of got a – It's
2: harder than normal. <laughs>
0: yeah, maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe it's not actually that tough, but it's just like, hey, compared to their cakewalk they've had, it's pretty pretty tough. I mean, they play Clemson. They play at Alabama. They play at Texas and at Ole Miss. Their win totals is 10 and a half. That means they have to only lose one game to win that does that does ten and two not seem likely yeah so that stands out to me as a potential under. I get George's name value, but like they're losing their best player and Brock Bowers now I don't know if they're gonna have the mass exodus on defense like they have the last couple of years. I don't know if that was kind of a rebuild year in terms of of playing younger guys, you know, playing sophomores versus playing the juniors and seniors that go to the NFL. But, yeah, I guess, again, when you play Clemson at Alabama, at Texas, at Ole Miss, and and, and home for Tennessee.
2: Clemson's at home for them? um, I don't know if that's a neutral neutral site. site?
0: I I think it's a neutral site. I don't know where it's at, but probably like Atlanta or Charlotte or somewhere maybe. See if you can figure out where it's at. But, like, neutral site. And and Tennessee, you'll give them, Tennessee, at least a 25% chance of winning at Georgia. To me, that just seems high. Yeah, it's in Atlanta. So, yeah, I mean, that's not far, but, I mean, there will be a lot of Georgia fans. But I'd imagine Clemson, it's, a, it's an easy trip for them. Yeah. Now, maybe it. they don't have the same desire to go there. Maybe, they, maybe they're not going to feel good about their chances of beating Georgia, so maybe they don't show up. Seeing how, you know, Clemson hasn't been very good the last two years. Bob, your thoughts on Tennessee,
1: 8.5 as their projected total i'm with you guys i'm sitting here thinking i still have such um such disappointment in the missouri total i've been looking at their schedule but tennessee i i think that's a that's a fair bet for them to win nine games i'd take i'd take the over on that i I really believe it and i would that's thinking of missouri i'm just looking at their schedule it is relatively easy but they've got games you know versus auburn at alabama versus oklahoma At South Carolina, I I think taking the under on Missouri is interesting too. I mean, I don't think they're terrible, but could they be nine and three? Yes, for sure. Right.
0: Yeah, nine and three is a good season for Missouri. Right. Like if you're a Missouri fan, you're probably mad that your over under is nine and a half.
1: At Texas A and M for them too. I mean, they they've got some games that are not just gimmies for sure.
0: And they're also Missouri.
1: Yes. They're They're also Missouri.
0: I don't don't think they're ready to just roll out and start rolling off back-to-back
1: double-digit win seasons. They do stand on business. but uh, It is important to remember. I used that line with my daughter the other night on something, and (laughs) she just started laughing. And I go, what what are you laughing about? And she goes, it's just not the right context. (laughs) (laughs) It's just interesting to hear that from a teenager. She's probably right. Do you remember how you used it? No, I, yeah. I forget. I think I got her on something. You know, we were kind of going back and forth, and I go, hey, Eva. I go, we stand on business here. <laughs> she goes, she just kind of laughed like she had clearly heard it. You know, yeah. it's not a football fan, but she had heard it. So, um, anyway, I digress. <laughs> I like that, Bob.
0: Bob stands on business. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> got to let him know. Yeah. Let him know. We take care of our responsibilities over
2: here. Stand on business, Bob.
1: <laughs> I told her, yeah, and I told her about how it was used by the Missouri coach, and what was interesting, she goes, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. She was, like, she was good with it.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, Missouri, I mean, like, it's kind of used interchangeably, like, put your money where your mouth is, slash, like, we take care of our responsibilities, yeah. slash, we had to get you payback, essentially, kind of thing. Like, it so, totally, yeah, I mean, like, Aliyah, Aliyah it sounded weird <laughs> the way he said it. Just coming from him, but then and then, I, and then I do how, think context wise, somebody told him like what to say.
1: And then he kinda ran off. Yeah right afterwards we said on
0: no business. Okay, bye. Yeah. It was like going through the handshake line, good game, good game. You suck, you suck, and then like immediately like walking off the field.
2: <laughs> oh God. I was thinking
0: about the handshake line in Youth Sports this weekend. I was watching a movie where they were doing it and I was thinking back and my teammates that would be like you suck, you suck, you suck. <laughs> And I was like, "Wonder what those guys are doing these days." Like, I feel like telling a kid they suck when you're like twelve. Those kids are all probably degenerates in their life. Was, but back, back,
1: back to the original question: Yes, I, I, I'm all in for. I'm not mad about it. I like the idea of taking the over on Tennessee. Eight and a half feels a little light to me. So I agree with you, Sam. I may not be as angry as you are. You got nine with your the good guy award winner. I think we can get, get nine to the Heisman potential
2: Well, winner. just
0: for the record, it only counts regular season. So okay, we got yeah, eight. True. We yeah. got eight yeah, with yeah, uh, yeah. our Good Guy award winner. We would have come in on the under here. Yes, the the totals
1: do not take into account the postseason. The Good Guy That's award would have – would have they might have given the 0. .5, so it might have been a push. <laughs> That's true. Like, you know what?
0: You only won eight, but you, you were a good such guy. a good guy. <laughs> and keep in mind, you didn't leave – and quit when you could have, even though you would have had to like drop down to like the FCS to go play or or D two because your eligibility and your transferring was already used up and all that. But good guy <laughs> for keeping the job and, and being a good teammate. But eight and five for Tennessee, I mean that that says even if you pencil in three losses to Oklahoma, Georgia, and Alabama, which I don't think you should. Now Georgia, sure. I, I'm I'm fine with calling that a loss. Yeah. I'm fine with calling that a loss. Now, can Tennessee go win at Georgia? Sure, I'll give it a 25% chance. But, like, to me, Alabama's a coin flip slash, for me, a slight lean favoring Tennessee at home. Oklahoma's a coin flip, maybe a slight lean to Oklahoma, if you want to say they're at home. And it's going to be, like, Nico's first big road start. But, yeah, like, I mean, even if you lose all three of those, as long as you take care of business against Florida and Kentucky, you're all right.
2: So I do think I think there's some he, I think he's just got favorable home matchups too. Oh yeah, no like, the
0: schedule the schedule Tennessee is you know can't complain about that. The schedule yeah. is set up for success. Uh, I thought it was last year, which what is what made eight and four so disappointing. And this year, yeah, I mean like you're we we talked about it. Like you play North Carolina State neutral, that's fine, but like your road games are Oklahoma, Arkansas, Georgia, and Vanderbilt. So like one of your road games is in the state of Tennessee. The others against the coach who is definitely on the hot seat that might be fired by October, and Sam Pittman. Their win totals five and a half. Georgia, okay, yeah, that's that's most likely a loss, and Oklahoma. That's a tough road trip, but keep in mind, I told you that their win total. I don't know if you remember what I said, seven and a half. It's not Texas at ten and a half. Seven and a half. They're going to be quite a bit worse, or at least projected to be quite a bit worse than Texas. So you got to break there. If that was a trip to Austin instead of Norman, maybe look at this season differently. Right? I mean, if you're going to Texas, who is a top 10 team, a top five team preseason, win total of of 10 and a half, that's different. But Oklahoma's seven and a half. Oklahoma's going to be in the same boat of, of starting a new quarterback, and he didn't look as good as yours did in the bowl game. So, yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, Sam, the schedule sets up good. Your home games, of course Chattanooga, Kent State, Florida, Kentucky, Mississippi State, and Utah. You should take care of business in all those. And then you got one big coin flip game against Alabama. That could be the difference between 10 wins and, you know, that's the difference between nine wins versus 10 wins versus 11 wins. It shouldn't be the difference between eight wins and nine wins, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. Does that make sense? Like, it should be the difference between you getting to double digits or 11 and 1 versus, well, if I'm gonna cash this eight and a half, I got to beat Alabama. No, no, that that should already be taken care of with the rest of your schedule, as far as I'm concerned. Any final thoughts on the SEC football win totals or any of these teams that we've talked about? Just fires me up, man. I don't want football season to be here now. Yeah, no, I'm pretty pumped thinking about football. I'm pretty pumped for baseball season starting this weekend. Basketball, this stretch run, like. That's the benefit of having the best athletic department in the SEC and maybe the best athletic department in the entire country. There's no real offseason anymore. Like you, you can look forward to every sport other than tonight's matchup against South Carolina in women's basketball. That might be a baptism. That might be. Or an execution. Or, I guess, putting someone to the stake and firing them. Is that what the term fire him means, like to fire someone? Is that where that comes from, burning people at the stake?
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's a great, I don't know. I don't know about the origin. Yeah, like, because, I mean, you know, to fire someone, of course, is to remove them, to exile them. Yeah, and then, uh, well, the, the technical term is terminate, but that also could sound like you're killing them. Yeah. yeah, that's even worse. <laughs> uh, He's been terminated.
0: Huh? Yep. Terminated. Yeah,
1: terminated. What do you
0: mean? He won't be back get it because the terminator movie yes yes (laughs) yes Uh, classic yes good job by me we'll wrap up the show and get you to the gi jake show coming up after the break stick with us